This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 151, Kaz Riley on Sexual Freedom Hypnosis. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Welcome back to the program for a content-packed session here with Kaz Riley from the United Kingdom talking about her journey in terms of being the client inside of the hypnotic experience and then from there launching into getting training and then the independence of building her own career. What's really interesting about this is that there's a background that she has, the background of actually working in pharmaceutical sales. And for a moment, we're going to talk about this in our conversation, though, for a moment, consider the skills necessary to be that person who's going into these doctor's office, presenting these medications, and basically going through a sales process, oftentimes from a cold contact. Now, take a look at that specific example and now consider where you are in terms of growing your hypnosis business. So this ability to get out there and communicate your message, to build rapport rapidly, to be able to build these connections in such a way that you're introducing somebody to something that chances are they haven't yet considered. It's where you're going to hear us in this conversation talk about the fact that very often hypnosis is not that first round treatment. It's not their first assumption of they wake up and realize here's a problem and oh man, I got to call the hypnotist. If only. Well, in this conversation, you're going to hear the steps that she took in order to build that. We're also going to spend some time talking about her specific niche market, that of working with sexual freedom issues in terms of helping to let go of some of the mental strain, letting go of guilt, and really helping people to empower their lives, and how it really becomes an incredible journey with her, where she's working with clients for these challenges, as well as fertility issues, as well as hypnobirthing, being there for all aspects of that conversation. You can check out more about Kaz by going to any of her two websites. Uh, first one is Kaz riley.com or sexualfreedomhypnosis.org. And again, as always, show notes uh, on worksmarthypnosis.com. We're going to have links to all the details over there too. I'd also encourage you to check out hypnotizewithconviction.com. Hypnotize with Conviction is actually my one-day pre-conference training that's happening at HypnoThoughts Live 2018. It's an event that's going to be on the Thursday before the convention begins, so that's Thursday, August 23rd out in Las Vegas. All the details over at HypnotizeWithConviction.com. It's all about eradicating that virus in our profession of the client saying, I felt relaxed, but I don't know if I was hypnotized. Well, to learn some rather systematic, simple, easy-to-master strategies to create profound hypnotic phenomenon reliably, and then more importantly, how do you use that phenomenon to either motivate change or connect that to the results the client is creating? So it's not just about learning some cool hypno stunts even though you are going to learn some really cool hypno stunts, it's about using these strategies to build ultimate conviction, turn your clients into raving fans, and how do you link the magic of hypnosis and the phenomenon to the change that they're there to create? You can check that out at hypnotizewithconviction.com, and when you sign up for my pre- or post-conference at HypnoThoughts, you get a private link to sign up for that convention at a massive discount as well. Check that out, hypnotizewithconviction.com. And with that, let's jump directly 
directly into this week's session. This is number 151 with Kaz Riley on sexual freedom hypnosis. Well, for me, actually, it's something that I've had um, an interest in since being a child. Um, just the whole, you know, the cartoons on the TV and people being hypnotized and mesmerized and all those kinds of things. But my first true and real introduction to it was actually whilst I was at university. I was studying applied biology um, in Liverpool. And at the time, was just having a lot of anxiety issues, a lot of self-confidence issues, and took myself off to see uh, the university counsellor and it just so happened that he was also a hypnotist and it was just a life-changing experience and that was actually how I knew what I wanted to do in the future. So to rewind part of that story is there a specific moment of going through those sessions that sort of sticks out to you that uh, really felt like a turning point for you? It, absolutely it was that it was that I think it was one session I remember I came out I'd been doing or oh, we'd been doing some inner child stuff and it was that realization that actually do you know what I was all right you know there wasn't anything really that awful and nothing bad was going to happen and um really it was about just feeling okay and good in my own skin and good about who I was um, and not really needing to kind of please anybody else, just to go out there and be the best that I could be. And that was the that was a real turning point for me. It was about um, being proud of myself rather than trying to make other people proud of me. Yeah, absolutely. So then from that experience, what was that next step for you? Really? Well, I, I left university. I, I went and I, I actually worked um, in the pharmaceutical industry for uh, quite some time and managed to get uh, them to pay for quite a lot of my training. So things like NLP training, some business training, things like Kobe 7 Habits, and some basic hypnosis training. And basically, I saved up um, and um, went to the London College of Clinical Hypnosis and trained with them for three years. Um, and really then the turning point from going from uh, working in medical medical sales in the pharmaceutical industry into hypnosis was actually um, to do that full-time was um, the birth of my son going into hypnosis full-time because I was away from home so much that I just wanted to be around to to kind of bring up my children and I got this sideline business hypnosis business and, uh, and I just kind of threw myself into that full-time. Yeah so I'm curious that it probably is a slightly different system over where you are, but over here in the States, the person in pharmaceutical sales, it's the walking in a doctor's office with the big binder and waiting for that opportunity to speak with them to then promote specific medications. Is that similar to what you were doing? Yeah, um, I, that's exactly what I was doing. Um, you know, kind of walking in, walking into hospitals, um, talking to doctors. I worked a lot in theaters, um, selling pain medications. Um, and also I was involved um, in a lot of drug launches, which weirdly now connect into uh, a lot of what I do now, which was actually Viagra in the UK. So um, all kinds of, it's actually a really great way working in that industry to learn how to run a business, your own business in the future, because effectively you're running an area, you're, it's like running your own business. So it was good training, actually. It was good sales training for doing the job that I do now. Yeah, that's something I want to chat about here a bit, because it's a category that some people would have a strongly held preconceived notion about, yet you're not uh, necessarily, sometimes there's a there's an appointment set, sometimes you're just showing up cold. 
you know, we could talk about soft skills that come from what we've done before that preps us for where we're going. I, I do a lot of business automation in terms of what I do, which the previous career working in management for the arts and calling cues in a theatrical production, mm-hmm. it easily lends from one skill to another. So what was it that you'd say you really took from that experience of being in sales, being in building that connection in a rapid amount of time that's lend itself over to your hypnosis business? The, 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 the absolute takeaway that I took, which I, which I use and, and still use extensively in my hypnosis people, is the principle that people buy people first. Mm-hmm. So if you can get them to buy into you, they'll buy into what you do. And, you know, I know lots of people, uh, certainly my clients come to me because it's me. Right. So that that's, you know, and it's about it's about being visible. It's about being out there. It's about doing things. It's about as giving as much as you get, really. So it's not just about going out there and doing hypnosis talks. It's about being seen to do something useful and visible within whether it's within your hypnosis community, within your local community. Um, and people buy into that and they buy into you and then they automatically buy into what you do because you've built that trust before you've even mentioned the word hypnosis. This is a, a huge takeaway for a lot of people that, yes, there was a trend, I'd say, perhaps early, late 90s, early 2000s, where a lot of the dialogue was make the business sound a lot bigger and, you know, call what you do a hypnosis center and they show up and it's just you in a single space office, mm-hmm. which there's nothing wrong with, but possibly representing it as something that it's possibly not. So yeah. the the application of the more it's you connecting with that potential client, it's you out there in your community what kind of things are you doing to to bring that aspect of you into your business and how you approach your clients? So, well, now, I mean, now it's not as much as I used to do because right. I don't need to do as much as that because my, my business is established. But it was things like, you know, I was on things like the Board of Governors for a couple of the local schools. And, you know, what that did was show that I was a responsible, caring person. Now, actually, I already did that before. I was launching my hypnosis business. So the value of that, I realized once I started doing that, because the people that I were connecting with started referring to me. Um, So things like um, I I sit on panels for um, parts of the NHS for um, improving maternity services, for example. And I'm there as a, a hypnobirthing expert but I'm also there as a service user and as somebody that can connect with the community and with the medical profession. So it's about it's about giving value-added service, I think, to the people around you that essentially then do refer to you because they get to know you in a different setting and you're not just trying to sell them something. You're actually interacting with them and that's how you build relationships, isn't it? You know, it's uh, we all know those kind of super cold calls that we get from, you know, companies that are just annoying. Whereas if it's somebody that, you know, late at a later date, then obviously that, that relationship and rapport is already established, isn't it? There's something beautiful about that, that one of the phrases that often comes up here is that anything you can do to not be the vendor is always the best strategy that yes, there's the strategy of someone goes to a health fair and they set up a table yet to find those events where they can be there as a speaker providing value, to find those opportunities where there you are in the community doing good work. And it's only secondary. It's only that, oh, yeah, she happens to also be a hypnotist, which further validates this thing, which for a lot of people, it's brand new to them and may seem kind of questionable, may seem kind of weird. But suddenly you're the one serving on that board 
and you're there in the community and it's now that assumption that, yeah, this is just something that I do. And it, again, builds that value, builds that rapport back to you. Absolutely. And I think it also helps to demystify what we do because what they do, I mean, they see you. Certainly I'm Kaz Riley. Um, I'm the hypnotist. You know, that's what I'm known for. But I'm also the person they know me as the, you know, the person that sits on the um, maternity advisory board that's, you know, on the board of governors that will get out and volunteer and do things um, as well as being the hypnotist. So they, you know, they see you on many different levels. And when we're thinking about what we're trying to do with a lot of clients and, you know, we're wanting people to refer to us because the, a referral business is by far the most sustainable business. Um, that word of mouth, you know, you end up, you know, I realized this week I've got second and third generation clients coming to see me, you know, where their parents came to see me where they hadn't even been born. And, you know, that's the kind of, um, you know, and they're international as well. It's not just a local thing. You can really get involved. And I think it's about being involved in a really positive way, isn't it? It's about, um, you know, it's as everything, you know, we pay it forward. We give something back and we get those returns um, by, you know, by, by being who we are rather than just trying to sell stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And I love that aspect of your story of having just given birth and now at home and wanting to restructure your life so that you're in control of it. You're the one directing the time that you spend. Mm, very much so. And it's, it's an interesting one because what that allowed me to do, I mean, I'm sure as anybody will tell you, setting up, um, a a really a successful hypnotic business involves a lot of hard work doesn't it at the start it involves a lot of hours a lot of graft building things making things but I could fit in that around you know having a baby having my you know having two babies actually at one point um and being able to be, be able to flex my hours around school hours and holidays and all that kind of thing now they're bigger you know I've, I've got more time I can do it in a slightly different way but it, it allowed me to be the mother that I wanted to be whilst doing the thing that I absolutely loved and was passionate about. And I think for that, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful to hypnosis because there's not many jobs that you can do that with. Exactly. Exactly. So then from the training to giving birth to launching your business, uh, what was that next part of that journey for you? I think probably it was, it was that self-belief I've been practicing or, uh, hypnosis is a sideline business before my my eldest son was born so I'd got some practice in there and I think everything kind of came together at the right moment where I felt confident enough to be out there just doing that um, and I think once that self-belief kicked in that I could do this that I was good at this that this is what I was supposed to do I think that drive, that that kind of internal drive to get out there and do as much of it as you possibly can just kind of kicked in. And also, I guess I had a great motivator of not wanting, um, you know, as my husband would jokingly call a proper job, um, you know, wanting to have that flexibility, but also still wanting to be financially, you know, secure and independent because I've now got a family. And I think, you know, for people that are very successful um, in the hypnotic profession, there's usually some real strong driving force behind them to keep them going, to keep them pushing forwards. And, you know, not just building a website and sitting back and waiting for it all to happen. You have to make it happen, don't you? Absolutely. So in those early days, I mean, you mentioned your introduction of being on the client side of it, having that shift yourself. Is there is there a story early on of working with a client, of witnessing their change, being a part of their process that sort of stands out as being 
you know, sort of uh, a turning point in launching all of this? There's so many, but the, the one that really sticks out was um, a lady that came to me with a dental phobia. And um, she she was to the point where they'd actually referred her to the dental hospital um, because um, she was so scared that they were just going to knock her out. They, were, they just kind of decided to take that tack rather than, um, you know, even try and do anything with her, just knock her out. Um, and I remember I did I did one session with her. I, I went to her home to do it, actually. It was when I first started, I worked mobile. But um, I went to her home, did this session, and it, I remember it was a truly profound session. And I could tell, I knew that she was fine. I knew when I left that, you know, she did not have that phobia anymore. And two days later, she went off to the dental hospital and didn't need any sedation. And apparently, um, they'd, because she was so scared, they'd actually got lots of dental students in to kind of see what a really scared uh, dental patient looked like and how they would sedate them. And actually, she sat down in the chair, didn't need any sedation, didn't need knocking out, um, had all this dental work done as cool as, as, cool as a cucumber um, and couldn't believe it. Um, but I think the turning point for me was when when the actual the um, the dentist phoned me later that day and said to me, how did you do this? <laughs> because she was so scared um, that, you know, we, we there was just no way we thought we could do this without physically, you know, anesthetizing and knocking her out. And, um, you know, and I ended up going down and giving a talk about hypnosis at the dental school um, two weeks after that. And that was for me is like, yeah, this really works. This really makes an impact. Um, and I guess to get that validated by, you know, the medics and the dentists is always a good thing as well, isn't it? Yeah. And to spend a little time talking just uh, technique on this, do you remember what you did with her in terms of that session? I do. I, I, I did. I went, it was kind of, kind of a bit of an old school kind of thing, really. I did a, a systematic desensitization. So built subs, um, went through it backwards, reassociating each point with a safe place so that really we just kind of fragmented the phobia. It's a bit like uh, unpicking a jigsaw, isn't it, and mixing it up so much that it can never be put back together. And that's what I did with that lady. Well, great. So then from there, I mean, that experience of working with the client and getting that kind of result. And I love that aspect of strength and simplicity that we'd often look at all the strategies that we know and often try to, you know, convolute things for the sake of thinking that we need to. But oftentimes just listening to that client feeding back what they've given us just to completely short circuit what used to be there and build that better path, right? Absolutely. And and often, you know, the simple ways are often some of the best ways, aren't they? You know, it's uh, it's how we get from A to B and then, you know, and how we then, you know, move that client forward. So, um, you know, that's the beauty, I think, of having lots of techniques in our toolbox is selecting the right one for that client, isn't it? You know, no, no one technique fits all, I believe, anyway. So um, I think it's great that, you know, we have so many different techniques that we can use as well. But, you know, it's that old phrase, isn't it? It's keep it simple, stupid. And <laughs> uh, sometimes that's what we need to do. Yeah. So let's kind of go through what often I'd call the user experience, that someone is contacting you, someone's about to come in. How does that experience play out with you? Well, I, th I think it really depends on what they what they what they're coming in for. Um, my area of speciality is working with um, sexual dysfunctions and um, what we call it sexual freedom, which is really about people um, getting rid of guilt and shame and things around uh, around sex, which you know is often something that people have. So. 
for the first thing, when they're, when they're contacting me, they know that's the, my area of speciality. And, you know, immediately what we do or is, is to put people at rest, to make them know it's all right to talk about these things, that they're not the only one, um, and just kind of talk them through what's going to happen uh, once they get to the office. And really, once they get there, it's, you know, it's that it's that kind of in-depth consultation. You know, I tend to take full histories from people. I think that's important um you know you get to know somebody you often see things that you know maybe they don't even see as they're telling you this stuff and also it gives them chance to relax um and just to get to know you a little bit and to build that rapport and I think for me that's the key is about building good rapport and even making people laugh in the office I don't think it has to be um a super serious process if you like which I have to ask the question of this theme of sexual freedom, working on things that uh, some would consider to be taboo, some would be a little embarrassed about coming in for. Where is that humor often coming in in that interaction? Well, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it, that people, adults, often, you know, giggle about these things anyway. You know, that's our natural go-to point, isn't it, when people are talking about um, sexual dysfunctions and, and sex in general, actually. You know, if you want to see... Uh, a room full of adults turn into four-year-olds, bring up the subjects <laughs> of sex, and it all gets, uh, you know, it all gets very giggly. But you know, I find just talking very frankly and openly about these things. So, um, you know, demedicalizing it, using the words that the the, the clients using, um, and I also say to them, you know, when they come in, you know, I want you to understand that. I understand that you don't necessarily talk about this and you maybe have never spoken to anybody about this, but this is what I do day in and day out. So please, you know, don't feel you're going to embarrass me anyway. Um, you know, just feel that you can speak as openly, as honestly as if we were talking about, you know, how do you bake a cake or or anything else. And what you find then is they just relax at that point because often the client's worried that they're somehow going to embarrass you by talking about these things. And once they realize that you're not embarrassed, a lot of their embarrassment dissipates just naturally because of that. Yeah. So is this a is this a specialty that you decided to follow or one that you discovered you already had skills in? Interestingly, it came out of originally my original niche, and it is a niche I still work with, was um, I trained with um, a wonderful hypnotist called Lindsay Eastburn in hypnofertility. Yes. Back in, um, I think it was the early 2000s, and that was the area where my original niche was, and it was a successful niche and still is. But what I actually discovered was a lot of the clients that I were getting within that niche were actually having fertility treatment because um, they've got sexual dysfunction. So a lot of women with things like vagismus, um, which is like the involuntary clamping of the vaginal muscles, um, a lot of men um, that were suffering with erectile dysfunction and people with real connection problems that had had fertility treatment, but they'd found the whole thing quite traumatic and were unable to kind of reconnect in with their partners, with sex, all kinds of things. And I found that I was actually treating those things. Mm -hmm. And um, as a result of that, a lot of these clients weren't then needing fertility treatment. So it's it's a kind of a niche that found me really rather than me you know it turned out I was good at treating those things you know I didn't have any embarrassment I think probably you know going out launching Viagra to you know doctors across the UK and cured me of any embarrassment that I had <laughs> so everything you know everything happens for a reason along our journeys um but that's where this all came from so all the my area of speciality the stuff that I teach 
is all stuff that I've learned on the client face, if you like. It's all stuff that, you know, I've developed as I've gone along. Um, and, you know, some other techniques that are adapted, you know, there's lots of different ways which we can do that. But that's essentially how I found it, really. It found me. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of thoughts I'd share on that, which would be it working with men for those issues is something that I kind of fell into, that if you rewind the story back, I'm right around Washington, D.C., and about maybe six, seven years ago, uh, there weren't many male hypnotists in the area, and here was a rather uh, prolific local female hypnotist who worked in her own home, and she didn't feel comfortable having men come to her home for that issue. So there came a time where suddenly the phone would ring and a man would say, Laura said I should call you, and just immediately I knew that's what we're about to work on. Uh, it's kind of how I love the correlation of starting with the fertility work and then discovering there's other aspects of it that I put the category of someone calls you up for improving the quality of their sleep. And sleep is kind of a non-issue. Sleep is something that just happens when we get out of our own way and let the body work the way that it's meant to work. And that often becomes a similar through line of working with anything of sexual dysfunction that it's this mental pattern that's getting in the way. It's this expectation. It's this place of they've been working through fertility and now it's become kind of mechanical and bringing that that passion back into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. I do, you know, as I go out and speak to hypnotists more about the work that I do and um, right across, you know, all kind of sexual issues, you know, people often say, oh, I'm not comfortable working with that. And, and I say to people, really, you need to ask yourself why, because this is just a psychological issue. You know, it just happens to have a basis in sexual function. But how is that different, really, than, you know, like you say, like the function of sleep or, you know, if you're doing somebody, um, you know, who works with sports hypnosis about athletic performance or whatever it may be. You know, we kind of need to demystify the whole sex thing, I think, in general, um, because a lot of that causes guilt and shame, which then leads on to lots of other anxieties and other problems, um, which we all work with anyway. So, you know, there, there is that as well, isn't there, is kind of this whole demystifying working with sexual sexual issues. It's not it's not as bad as it might seem. It's really interesting work, actually, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's where, I mean, here in the States, there's the whole side of uh, making sure they've gone through the medical procedures of sometimes there's a specific medical reason why something might be there. And very often, I mean, they're not waking up and deciding, oh, I need to call a hypnotist for this. They've kind of gone through yeah. a little bit of everything else at times. And then here we are in that process. Absolutely. And that's the same here in the UK. But that's the same for most things that we work with as hypnotists, isn't it? You know, if we look at somebody with anxiety, you know, we'll make sure that they've had all the right tests to make sure that there isn't anything going on physically. Um, and, you know, the same with the sexual stuff. But yeah, it's every, everybody should get checked out before they come and see us probably really, shouldn't they? Um, yeah, there's a quick anecdote that a uh, man calls up years ago, and he's calling for issues and is basically saying, I don't want to go to my doctor for this. They're going to convince me I'm crazy. And I'm there responding. Well, it might be something very straightforward that, you know, if something is not connected properly or whatever it may be, um, there's no amount of hypnotic suggestion may resolve it. And he kind of gets frustrated with me and hangs up. And the story goes, it's a few months later. And he calls and apologizes and thanks me because it turned out um, quick outpatient procedure and then everything was back to normal. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What I'm curious to ask about is, again, kind of back to 
the approach to things that, uh, you know, yes, we're always being client centered. Yes, we're always customizing to the individual. Though, do you find there's some specific, let's say, go-to strategies that often find their way into your work? I think, well, the, the really obvious ones, um, I think everybody um, needs a bit more confidence, um, self-esteem, all of those kinds of things. I think life tries to knock that out of everybody. So that underpins most of the work um, that I do. I think everybody could do with a bit more of that. And I, you know, I, I work a lot with the subconscious in terms of I'll talk directly to the subconscious a lot. So, um, you know, I, I believe the, the subconscious holds the answers to most things, actually. I think, you know, even if the client's not aware of it, the subconscious is. And often, literally by just having a chat with the subconscious, um, we can unravel a lot of things. And even if um, the subconscious is unable just to change it, it gives us a great blueprint and framework to start from for a treatment protocol for that particular client. Yeah. So to get specific, you're in that process. How are you making that transition? How are you getting to that place to speak directly to the subconscious? Well, um, traditionally, I've just deep, you know, gone down working with um, some some mambalism states and um, really one day, just on a whim, just thought I'll give it a go. You know, I'd been taught really to use IMRs and head nods and all that kind of stuff. And uh, one day I just decided to start talking to the subconscious and much to my surprise, um, it spoke back. So we kind of went down, down that line <clears throat> more recently. Um, I took some of uh, Steph Conkle's mm. uh, Profound Somnambulism course, which, you know, has, has certainly helped me hone that skill in. Um, and other, you know, the kind of um, deep state courses. Uh, but I think it's also about, you know, just checking that we have got a good level of hypnosis. I know there's a lot of debate in the profession at the moment about, you know, waking trances and, um, you know, different levels of hypnosis. From my work personally, I find deep state tends to work better and tends to stick longer for those people that can achieve that. And if I can possibly work that way, that would be the way I would usually go. Right. I mean, just to simply have the kinesthetic experience that they can feel something's going on and that depth mm -hmm. absolutely being there that um, the, the catchphrase I'd live by is that all that, you know, we can work with any level that we achieve. And the, the phrase that I'd live by is that all levels are created equal, but some are more equal than others. So let's go deeper. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. So what's the shape in terms of how you spend your time these days? How much time is with clients? And uh, I know you also do training. Chat with us about that. Well, still, my, my business is a, is a, a client uh, driven business. So mm -hmm. um, the majority of my time is still spent with clients. Um, and actually, I like it that way. You know, that's what I love to do. I love to see the change in people. Um, I love to be the facilitator of that change. You know, that that's the thing that gives me a real kick. And I love the fact that, you know, every single day is different, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, training wise, um, you know, I, I do, I do, uh, I do a lot of mentoring. I have students in 17 different countries. Um, I love that because the way that we do things in different countries is very different. So I think I learn as much from my students as, uh, as they do from me. Um, and then also, um, you know, I teach, um, I do seminars. Um, obviously I'm teaching at hypno thoughts again this year with a two day postcon. Um, I've got three classes there this year. 
Um, I'm just waiting on to see where else I'm teaching this year. They've not confirmed back yet, but um, I'm sure there will be other places in different countries. Um, and also I teach online as well. You know, we live in a, a very digital world now where we don't necessarily have to be in a physical place. Exactly. Um, exactly. So, you know, there's, um, I know coming up over the next few weeks, there's some webinars and, um, and we've also about to launch um, the online school for sexual freedom hypnosis um, which will be done over a few months rather than over a couple of days. Um, just a different way of um, people being able to learn and to access the techniques that we use. Yeah, yeah. So in, in recent years, I mean, the, the phrase is often, if we knew then what we know now. Um, so from your start to where you are now, how would you say your process has either become more focused or let's say more streamlined or more effective? What would you say have been some of those epiphanies over the years of doing the work and really being there with the clients? I think um, having a niche, I think that's uh, a pretty key thing to having a successful business. Um, and in terms of, um, you know, that kind of, if I'd known then what, I'm, you know, it's, it's like that, isn't it? what were the things that you would want to know? Um, if you only had known then what you know now, as you, as you say, um, I think it's, um, you know, it's that, it's just that belief that, interestingly, um, what I, the thing that I was told, sorry, I'm gabbling at you now. No, but, I love it. <laughs> uh, um, the, the thing that I was told repeatedly when I, when I was starting out in hypnosis is that you could not have a successful full-time hypnotic business. It mm. was an impossible thing that everybody had to have another job. And, um, you know, and I didn't believe them. I don't know why I didn't believe them, but I just didn't believe it. And, you know, if I had to, to know now, you know, here I am 16 years later, I've been full time, a full time hypnotist now for 16 years. And there is, you know, it can be done. So it's that I think if I'd have known now that, you know, here I would be 16 years later, I would kind of I would have been much more forthright with the people that were telling me that it couldn't be done. Um, I think I would, um, you know, in terms of if I'd have realized, I think I've realized later how I built my business when I actually built my business, which was, you know, by being out there, being, um, very kind of public in terms of, um, providing value to my community, whatever that community may be. Um, it's things like that, that you don't actually realize you're doing until you reflect upon it later, isn't it? You know? Um, and also just how amazing it is at this point in my career, 16 years on, I'm still wowed every day by how absolutely amazing hypnosis is. And really, you know, we're still at the tip of the iceberg and tapping into its potential, aren't we? Yeah. So working with a niche, uh, having that specific focus, uh, curious to ask, do you get those calls? Do you get those inquiries for, let's say, the, quote, standards of hypnosis, the stop smoking, the lose weight? Do those often find their way into your office? They, they do. Um, the stop smoking, not so much, actually. Um, lose weight, I tend to refer out to my students. I don't have time to do those. And I choose, you know, and it's great. I think it's great when you're starting out to get those kinds of clients. It's good to refer those on. Um, I get a lot of, well, when you think about most of what we do is based on anxiety, phobia is a specific anxiety, um, you know, insomnia is often about sleep anxiety or being anxious when you look at the typical things. So I do all of those things that are usually based in anxiety. Um, and then obviously I have my, my, well, my three niches actually, which are, um, you know, all, all 
sexually related one way or another, which is the sexual freedom hypnosis, uh, fertility hypnosis and hypnobirthing, which you can, as you can see, you know, I'll often see clients all the way through all three of those niches. And, you know, if you have a niche, a speciality, um, you know, I think the assumption is by the client that you must be good because you have that niche. And if you, you know, if you if you do that, then they can do the other stuff that people might see more regularly, like anxiety, stop smoking, weight loss, uh, phobias, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier in terms of the initial call coming in, the initial inquiry and building their expectation. Uh, are there any specifics, you know, in terms of addressing let's say the pre-talk side of things, how the conditioning of the client before the actual formal hypnotic process begins. Are there specialized approaches that you're finding that you've uh, developed over the years towards that? Well, actually, um, the answer to that is what I've actually done is embrace all aspects of hypnosis. I find that most clients come in with an expectation of hypnosis in terms of what they've seen on the television you know they've maybe seen in a show and that that's still their kind of point of reference usually for what hypnosis is and in the old days I you know I'd kind of try and shove those away and actually now what you find in my office are you know the spirals on display there's watches hanging in the window there's kaleidoscopes there's all kinds of things and what I've started to do in terms of a pre-talk in terms of the hypnotic part of that is actually take them through, you know, take them from their point of reference through to where them, where I want them to be. So rather than trying to say to them things like, um, you can't be made to do anything in hypnosis you don't want to, you know, I've started to be approach that from a slightly different way of saying just like in life, you know, you have choices about what you do and hypnosis is the same. Um, because, you know, in life, we can sometimes be persuaded that we know to do something we don't want to. So it seems ridiculous to me to say that in hypnosis, we can't. Um, but it's about giving people their choice back, isn't it? So it's that process of meeting their expectation and taking them through where I want them to be, but also by getting them to take responsibility that everything we're about to do, they have a choice about. And of course, you know, by the time we get to actually doing some hypnosis, they're making a choice to do that and to be successful with it. Well, you bring up something interesting there, which there's a, there's a huge movement in terms of, oh, get rid of the expectations, uh, explain you can or can't do things, don't use the spirals. Yet, to put yourself in the shoes for a moment of the person who is making that initial call, making that initial research, <laughs> to be fair, these are some of their initial expectations. These may be some of the reasons that they're calling one of us. Absolutely. And, and to use that as that launching point. Well, I I do. And I think, you know, I think people's expectations are powerful things. And if we can make that work positively in our office um, and, you know, then we're going to have a much better outcome. So, you know, this morning I hypnotized uh, an eight year old child using a kaleidoscope. You know, she didn't have to sit still because she was so focused on what she was looking at down the kaleidoscope we did the therapy while she was doing that. Now, you know, if I had gone down a more traditional method um, or, you know, a more kind of seemingly clinical method, I probably would have made it much harder for myself and for the child. Also, you know, if you've got um, somebody that's coming in and, you know, they're wanting you to use a swinging watch, well, I think we're halfway there with the hypnosis. Then why not use one? What's wrong with that? You know, mm-hmm. we think about EMDR, you know, technique that we use. We're using a swinging finger. What's the difference? 
Yeah. And it's again, it's where when I work with a kid, I simply ask the question of what do you expect today? And often some of their expectation is what works its way into the process. The same as working with an adult when I'm hearing what their perceptions of the process are. It's definitely not to sit there and say, yes, I can make you do things you don't want to do. No, it's to listen to the person and feed into that expectation and harness whatever we've got there. Absolutely. It's like when people, you know, you know, say, what's your favorite induction? You know, and my honest answer is, you know, most of the time I make them up as I go along and make it fit the person that's sat in front of me. You know, I understand the process of what needs to happen with an induction. So, you know, just as we tailor our therapy, um, you know, we need to tailor our inductions and actually also our kind of emergency procedures. You know, you know, there are different types depending on the type of session that you've just done, isn't there? You know, if you want somebody to leave motivated, you know, we want to rouse them, you know, so that they're feeling really energized. If, you know, they're going to go home and go and have a sleep after a session for insomnia, maybe we, we don't want to do that quite as much. You know, it's thinking about what we do and why we're doing what we're doing all the time, I think. I think that's that's the the key to any good session and to any good hypnosis practice, really. And I think that's a huge takeaway because there's folks that would often have that expectation, especially someone brand new to hypnosis, that they're emerging the same way every single time. And it's that point of view that, yes, relaxation is a strategy. It's a tool inside of what we do. Yet it's not the only uh, it's not the only paint we can use to create this uh, this masterpiece. It's emerging with motivation, emerging with excitement, whatever the appropriate emotional landscape ought to be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, great. Uh, Kaz, where can people find out more about you online? Um, You can either have a look at uh, kazriley.com or there is uh, sexualfreedomhypnosis.org, which has got that, that area of speciality, that niche, um there's stuff about um you know the sessions that we do and also um about the training that we have we've got some uh, obviously we've got the the live training at HTL um in August which I'm really excited to be coming back for um and we've got some of the trainings um we're just about to release the dates for so you know if people are interested by all means, get in touch, and uh, I will make them aware of when those training dates are. Um, but you know, my my inbox is always open. If people want to ask me questions about what we do, and um, then you know, just just add, just message me, and I'll get back to you. You know, we need to connect and share, don't we, the information that we have. It's Jason Lynette here, and as always, thank you so much for joining me on this program. Thank you so much for leaving your feedback on iTunes and sharing this on your social media streams and simply commenting on it on the various places on Facebook. It's kind of nice that there's all these different groups that are there to interact and get your questions answered, and often being able to see that this is serving as an ongoing resource for all sorts of uh, hypnotists all around the world. Speaking of ongoing resources, head over to hypnotizewithconviction.com. That's the Thursday pre-conference training that I'm doing at HypnoThoughts Live 2018, all about hypnotic phenomenon, how to harness it magically, how to use it to motivate the client's change, and also turn your clients into raving fans, which is a fantastic business strategy, it turns out. You're going to learn some strategies to systematically create profound hypnotic phenomenon, and more importantly, how to connect that to the actual change process as well. Sign up today, reserve your spot over at hypnotizewithconviction.com. See you soon. 
Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at worksmarthypnosis.com. Hold up. 